Good morning. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from uh, Psalm 72, uh, verses 1 through 7, and then picking up again at verse 10 through 17. Listen now for the word of God. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout the generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound until the moon is no more. Picking up at verse 10. May the kings of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him and all nations give him service. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. This morning's gospel lesson for this first Sunday after Epiphany comes to us from Matthew chapter 2, and we'll read a little bit further than what the lectionary prescribed. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. And when King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, 
Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the prophet had spoken by the Lord. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. And then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. And she refused to be consoled, because they are no more. When Herod died... An angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. And then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. When he had heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is indeed a joy and a privilege to be back here with you all again. I deeply enjoyed my time with you all last time as I, was, as I had a chance to really uh, kind of dive into some, some of the more complexities of another complicated story. I believe it was the story of the Syrophoenician or the Canaanite woman. Uh, I was told that that was a little bit of a lighter service given that it was uh, the summer, but this cold weather did not deter you, uh, so I'm, I'm, pri- I'm very privileged and grateful to see you all here on this brisk, cold morning. Because of uh, being here a second time, I felt like it would be okay for me to uh, clue you in on a little bit of a vulnerability I have with shopping. It's not moving. Moving's enough. Uh, Shopping is a different story. You see, I recently had my own experience as a wondrous traveler in search of a great mystery in Ikea. The treasure in pursuit was Mindy, the product name for the full-length mirror I was to pick up for my wife when there to purchase a table, or better known as Jockmock. I traveled from the east or Mount Airy, to the town of Plymouth Meeting, where the light in the sky led me to the sacred Swedish home decor store. I went there for what I assumed would be a 15-minute stop. (laughs) I'm naive. So then I walked into the marketplace, determined that I would find what I needed rather quickly. And I did find Jockmock. But I still needed Mindy. So I asked the nearest salesperson who pointed me to the showroom where I could see a number of mirrors and even other tables if I'd like. Naively, I walked into the showroom and immediately was overwhelmed but still committed. So I began to follow not a star in the sky but arrows on the floor that weaved me through the endless display room like a hamster in one of those glass-covered mazes. And there was only one route to follow, or so I thought, these arrows. And so I did. And Mindy, 
according to the nearest salesperson, was at the end of the route. Needless to say, about 45 minutes later, or 30 years, I found Mindy placed on my shopping cart with those 360-degree wheels that make you feel like you're traveling on ice and bowling shoes and headed for the checkout. I had overcome, but I was spent, and I spent far more than I intended. I didn't know the journey for such a simple item would be so complicated. It was supposed to be simple, quick, and easy. The story of Epiphany begins with what appears to be a harmless, a simple, a holy venture of three magi from the eastern lands following a route prescribed by a single star in the heavens. And while we are accustomed to hearing the first half of this epiphany story and all the imagery fitting for a seasonal carol, the latter portion is far from what you would want for a holiday jingle for the last day of Christmas that we come to today. This may be why the prescribed reading in today's lectionary cuts the narrative short, leaving off the aftermath of this very complicated visit of the Magi. Yet today's gospel story must be engaged in its fullness. Much like an Ikea marketplace, we cannot shortcut our way through. We have to weave through it all. Okay, I hear all you Ikea veterans saying, you can shortcut your way through the showroom displays. But you can, but then you miss the fullness of all that's on display. So, too, you cannot begin to understand the fullness of Epiphany if you stop with the Magi returning home and tuck under a Swedish rug what happened in the verses that followed. So we won't do that. Instead, we'll briefly engage the full story by way of a common thread that runs throughout Matthew's gospel, Matthew's Epiphany story, unsettling dreams. But first, let's pray. Gracious God, you have revealed yourself throughout history. You continue to reveal yourself today even through uncommon people and in uncommon places. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Christ, the great revealer. Amen. The first dream in the Gospel of Matthew is familiar and it occurs when Joseph receives word of the incarnation through the betroth- to the betrothed Mary. While the contents of the dream are earth-shattering, the recipient is to be expected. Joseph is an upstanding Jewish man with an impressive heritage that Matthew had just outlined, starting with Abraham. The recipients of the next dream, however, raise more than a few eyebrows. Eastern wisdom teachers and astrologists from the region most known not only as Gentile territory, but also as hostile enemy territory, that is Babylon that ravished our ancestors and led them into exile. You see, out of this land, Matthew illustrates new characters, not of collusion with empire, but in grand conspiracy of hope. Matthew even tells their story of being the benefactors of a revelation, a revelation from God and epiphany about the one who would establish God's throne as sung about in the Psalm 72 that was just read a few moments ago. See, the Magi are led by a star to Herod's courts, and they meet in secret with this fabled King Herod, whose allegiance was neither to his Jewish roots nor the Roman Empire, but to power and self-interest alone. May sound familiar. Then they head out to find who it was that they, and now Herod, were looking for, only to come to an abrasive halt as the star stops 
over the place where the child was. Matthew is intentionally abrupt here, only to follow up with, and they were overwhelmed with joy. Makes you wonder why. Have they studied the Hebrew Scriptures and found something better, maybe something more overwhelming than the redemptive stories that they had discovered in their own lands? These oppressive brands of ideologies and religious myths about violent throne hoarders? Surely this juxtaposition is part of Matthew's intent. I also wonder if this is where we can find a little bit of a connection with the Magi, where we can relate in our own longings for something better than, some semblance of joy within a world where threats of nuclear war are played with on Twitter, where the trending hashtag MeToo exposes ongoing realities of sexual harassment and abuse in virtually every workplace known to humanity, including the church. When children's health insurance is used as collateral in partisan tax agendas, or maybe when we have just been battling depression and grief for far too long in such a way that leaves us searching for light in the darkness. Whatever it, it may be, we are looking for joy that overwhelms despair. And so too for the Magi, so when the stars stopped, they stopped and offered their gifts fitting for a new kind of kingdom. And then they had a dream, that epiphany. Do not return to Herod. And they didn't. They left for their own country, as Matthew says, by another road. They were accustomed to roads like Herod's that led to devastation, to oppression, and the lures of redemptive violence. But their encounter with the Christ child reframed everything and moved them to subvert the oppressive mandate and refuse compliance to what was sure to be a murderous assault on this vulnerable child beneath the star. Friends, this is the first good word for us this morning. That in this Christ child we find joy beyond mere sentimentality. That overwhelms despair and nudges us to take alternative roads of non-compliance to cultural narratives and powers that be. Whenever they threaten the well-being of those most vulnerable to systems of oppression, injustice, exploitation, and violence. Wherever you are on the socio-political spectrum, there's no denying that we live in important times when our allegiance is tested, our discipleship challenged, and our understanding of what it means to be God's people in the world is stretched. And while there are sure reasons to despair, there are even more reasons to be overwhelmed by joy as we see evidence of people both inside the church and beyond taking these alternative routes other than those fueled by bigotry, sustained by privilege and manifested in pervasive poverty, racism, violence and negligence of those most vulnerable in our neighborhoods, nations, and larger world. Whether it is a presbytery raising nearly $400,000 to leverage education of children to disrupt a school-to-prison pipeline to work towards restorative justice, or churches like yours who continue to partner, as Carrie affirmed with me this morning, Bart Elementary School, to empower young peacemakers in your community. New roads here are being carved. 
There are churches also, ministers and community organizers, who have also housed refugees, linked arms with, and provided sanctuary for immigrants, hosted art festivals to raise awareness about local gun violence. And again, your church, as you heard this morning, is committed to reading Waking Up White and hosting an author talkback open to the community as you consider how to dismantle systemic racism. Here again, new roads of resistance are carved. Friends, the revelation of this Christ child begs the same question today as it did two millennia ago. Will we follow the road that leads to power and privilege? Or will we follow this overwhelming joy on alternative routes of love, justice, and equality for all of God's children? But there is still more to this story. While we may find initial relief in how the Magi's alternative road made a way for the safety of God's anointed child, there is a very dark side to Epiphany that leaves us with more questions than answers. You see, the infuriated and deeply insecure Herod, because oh, how insecure the powers are, he's hellbound on finding the one who was perceived threat to his power, orders the killing of children to and under. And so again, Joseph then receives a dream, an Epiphany, because God's Spirit is always a step ahead of the powers. He says, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. And in an intra-biblical allusion to the Exodus where Herod is cast as a new kind of pharaoh, the Holy Family flees and finds refuge in the land once known for enslaving the Jewish people. The story is so unsettling that again the lectionary stops short of it. Most of us hesitate to read to our young children. I do. I even hesitated to read it today. Then I wonder, is this second chapter of Epiphany precisely the story Jesus' parents told him every year when they acknowledged his birth? You can almost hear Mary whisper, my son, you are our beloved. You are God's beloved. Yet your entrance into this world has not been as beloved by the powers that press upon us from all sides. Many have already died, so you may live. Children even, young ones like you. Never forget your life came at a cost. Never forget the babies of this world, the children of Bethlehem. So live and love, and like those distant visitors from foreign lands who made a way for your deliverance and ours, offer your life as a refuge for all who are threatened to have their lives taken away. It's no wonder that Jesus, the Christ child, now matured Messiah, spoke these words to his disciples who had become a blockade to little ones in their thirst for power and privilege. He called a child, Matthew writes, whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus knew the witness of the Magi and never forgot the children. I dare say this is the second gospel message of Epiphany to hear the cries of children looking for refuge, whether in Pottstown or the Middle East, India, Philadelphia, or modern-day Israel, Palestine. Dare we hear their cries and quest to protect children often burned by the negligence of adults and the powers that be, May we be willing to take it a step farther and empower and invest 
and young people's passions and their questions and their ideas about alternative routes able to move us even a little bit closer than previous generations to God's dreams for a world made new and right again. One of the most binged shows on Netflix, quite a segue, is Stranger Things. Any fans? It's a few. Catch up with it. I'm in the middle of season two, so hold your spoilers. But it dawned on me. The entirety of this show hinges on the willingness of adults to listen to children caught in a nightmarish upside down and related monsters that were were released and unleashed by the foolishness and irresponsibility of adults. In Stranger Things, children and youth are both the vulnerable victims and the heroic protagonists. Some of the most beautiful scenes are when the adult characters have their own epiphanies that affirm what young people have already told them about what is really going on just beneath the surface of the world that they thought they knew so well. Friends, if we are to live into our agency as disciples of Jesus, like the Magi, we must always be on the side of children and youth who are frequently both vulnerable victims and heroic protagonists. Leaders of faithful resistance against the strange and monstrous powers that threaten their present and future well-being that is so bound to ours. And this congregation does this so well, which warms my heart as someone who served in youth ministry for the better part of 13 years. All this leads to the final dream of today's story. Again, given to Joseph. Get up. Actually, both the original Greek and the new revised Hamilton, the musical version, reads it this way. Rise up, wise up. Take the child and his mother and go to Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. So that is what they do as the Magi return to their own land, leaving us to wonder about the new stories they told as fresh evangelists to the gospel in the farther parts of the eastern world. But then Mary and Joseph and the Christ child return as well to their familiar lands. Albeit not in Bethlehem, but Galilee and the marginalized town of Nazareth. And what is most compelling about the final chapter of Epiphany is that it ends neither with fight nor flight, death nor despair, rather return. God's story has always been about return. Dare I say resurrection when all will be made new and right again. Because life and homecoming are the promised, promised finish line to what Julia Esquivel, an exiled Guatemalan poet who wrote in the wake of genocide in the middle portion of the 20th century, it's what she refers to as a marathon of hope. This marathon runs along the margins and often neglected corners of our world. And this is today's final good word of epiphany. The fullness of God's revelation It's encountered when God's people return to and make their home along the margins of our neighborhoods to live into God's restoration and wholeness, love and justice that is especially for our most vulnerable neighbors near and far. So what does that look like for this congregation? Where and alongside whom may God be awakening you to run this marathon of hope? Where might you personally see God's star hovering and then stopping? These are epiphany questions worth asking. Well, friends, you made it. The fullness of the Epiphany story. And in journeying through this story, we have been assured by the Magi that when we encounter the Christ child, 
we will find a joy that overwhelms even the darkest of despair and nudges us towards alternative roads of resistance to narratives and power structures that infringe on all who bear the image of God. We have been reminded of our call to hear the cries of and provide refuge for the youngest among us, even to empower their voices as they lead us in alternative routes towards God's justice and peace. And finally, we have discovered again that God's story hinges on a return to and make our home among the margins where the, we embody the hope we find in Jesus Christ alongside our more vulnerable neighbors near and far. You see, each of these words came by way of a dream, an epiphany from God who were open and willing to not only receive this dream, but to respond to the vision. So what about you? May you be just as open to the dreams of God in such a time as this, for Lord knows the world needs epiphany people just as much now as it did two millennia ago. So get up, rise for this marathon of hope in a world God still so very much loves. Amen.